The latest document come out of the Climate Change Committee is its sixth carbon budget, setting us on a pathway to achieve the 250 net zero target. This comes on the heels of the report last year recommending the net zero 250 target in which the Climate Change Committee told us that when we get to zero, we will no longer be causing climate change. This time around, the message which was spun to the media is that getting to net zero really isn't going to cost us very much at all. Indeed, it goes as far as to say that the fuel savings will cancel out the costs completely. And in the meantime, it's going to be probably less than 1% of GDP. Now, this sixth carbon budget, as with the recommendation for net zero last year, follows on the path of the much earlier Stern report, which uh, Nordhaus in the US described as best regarded as political documents. And of course, these are political documents. This is a political process. And the Climate Change Committee understandably wants to egg on the government to make ever more robust and demanding targets and intermediately objectives to get to the goal which the law requires we achieve. So you can't fault the Climate Change Committee on trying to influence the debate to get to a particular answer. But in doing so, it's painted a picture which is just too good to be true. And in that lies some really serious dangers ahead. And to see this, remember the 219 report on net zero, when we get to zero, we'll no longer be causing climate change. If only. We're never going to get to zero, nor should we. And uh, we will always still be causing climate change as long as everybody else in the world is not at net zero, or at least everyone else in the world with whom we trade. It's carbon consumption, not carbon production. It's global warming, not territorial carbon production that causes climate change. And it's the parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere which count. And that's the balance of emissions and the ability of the natural world to absorb uh, carbon from the atmosphere, sequestration. It's not just all about emissions. And um, that process is ongoing. And our carbon consumption, our carbon footprint is very, very different from our territorial uh, emissions. And, you know, with a really hard deal on Brexit, whether or not any deal itself is put in place, uh, the best way of achieving the reduction of territorial emissions is to close down as much of British industry as we can and as fast as possible. And Brexit might well help that process along. But in this podcast, what I really want to concentrate on is this claim that it isn't going to cost you very much. And I want to explain why that looks like it's too good to be true. To start off, let's give the Climate Change Committee the benefit of the doubt. Let's just for the moment imagine that it really isn't going to cost us very much. Well, then it's pretty straightforward. We can see an end to renewable subsidies very quickly. We can see to a world in which the private sector will do all of this because if it's profitable, it's not going to cost more than the alternatives 
then the private sector is going to take up the huge opportunities which the Climate Change Committee suggests are in front of them. And the role of government will be left to uh, those bits of the infrastructure, the public goods and to the R&D. So it's going to be a low and falling public cost on the exchequer. It's going to be a rollback of subsidies to the renewable sector. And it's going to be a concentration just on those core bits that only really the state can do. And of course, that's not what anyone really wants to happen at this stage. And indeed, I think it would be pretty disastrous to withdraw the subsidies and support early on in the game. The truth is that the transition is going to need a lot of government support and a lot of public expenditure. And you can see that in the next bit in the saga, which is the spin from the government ahead of the energy white paper. What did the Sunday newspapers say ahead of the energy white paper? It's all about making sure that suppliers don't screw the customers and making sure that people get the cheapest deals on offer. It's all about bringing down the electricity bills across the board, getting rid of that uh, claimed monopoly rent, that loyalty tax, and producing cheaper energy. And you know, this doesn't really add up, does it? So let's think who's going to pay for this lot and what it's going to cost. One way of thinking about what it costs is to ask, what would the carbon tax have to be in order to ensure that we met the trajectory of the sixth carbon budget and got ourselves all the way to net zero in 250? Do you think it would be naught? Do you think it would be 20 pounds a, a tonne of carbon? Uh, or do you think it'll be 50 or 60 or more? Now, just for the thought experiment, if our only main instrument was a carbon tax, I put it to you, that carbon tax would have to be pretty high. And that's not consistent with the idea it's all cheap. And that's not what the government wants the voters to believe. And so the reality is that instead of actually confronting people with the costs of living beyond their means, beyond their carbon means, of causing the pollution that you and I are responsible for in our day-to-day -day carbon production and consumption of uh, all those carbon-intensive goods and services from fast fashion to cheap holidays to our day-to-day -day shopping basket. All that stuff that we uh, consume, if we were to get rid of the costs of that and be forced to switch to a sustainable economy in which we live within our carbon means, my guess is things will be a lot more expensive. This is where the dangerous bit comes. You tell people it isn't going to cost them very much. And you know what? They probably believe it. They're told it from all dimensions. You know, the BBC, in uh, uh, looking at this claim about the, the costs on its website, refers to anyone who questions the cost as a sceptic. I mean, come on. You know, we must be able to challenge the costs and not be accused of not caring about climate change, which I passionately do. So that sort of cost, that sort of carbon tax would be quite onerous. And now think through to the politics of who would pay it. So the median wage in Britain is 24,000. 
That means that half the population earn less than 24,000 a year. They're already maxed out on the cost of living. Uh, for that bottom half of the population, there have been virtually no real increases in their wages for maybe over a decade. They're going to struggle when the interest rates go up and they have to pay for the housing costs and all the other utility bills follow as inflation almost inevitably comes forward to address the sheer scale of the fiscal and monetary stimuli that uh, we've been having in part due to coronavirus, but also the pre-coronavirus return to fiscal expansion. So all that lot is cost to come to those people on 24,000 or below. And now tell them on top, you know what, we're going to do net zero and it's going to cost you quite a lot. They're not going to pay. And that's why those Sunday papers ahead of the publication of the Energy White Paper were given the spin, focus on taking down people's electricity bills. Don't focus on the costs of taking out the pollution that they cause. And you can find littered in the Climate Change Committee's document costs that sort of may or may not be in that uh, 1% of GDP, etc., and in the bills. So converting houses from gas and oil central heating it slips in that it might cost six to eight thousand a household. You do the maths, 14 million owner occupied houses and then all the rented sector on top. Who's going to pay? And the answer again and again and again is that actually it's the government that's going to pay for this. It's the taxpayer that's going to pay for the marginal extra capital expenditure and investment, not the median or below median customer in their bills. They're going to get cheaper electricity. Oh, and they're going to get decarbonisation as well. I think it's called cakeism, having your cake and eating it, having a net zero world and having cheaper energy. So if we think through how this plays out, what's going to happen when the taxpayers and the customers realise that that 1% is probably not going to be the cap on the cost that we're all going to have to bear, and rightly bear. Uh, I'm no sceptic about uh, the need to do this stuff. I'm simply sceptical about people who tell me I'm going to have my cake and eat it. So let's just think what happens. So the bills go up. The households find regulation bearing down on their gas central heating. The government has to step in to pay for this, just as it's had to step in to pay for energy efficiency because the private sector would not take up what we were repeatedly told were effectively £20 notes lying all over the pavement, you know, energy efficiency being self-financing because it was such a good economic proposition. So the public will start to feel those costs. They will not pay, the state sets in and public expenditure goes up. But that assumes there's a kind of limitless magic monetary tree in which the government can simply borrow and spend uh, and borrow and decarbonise and that's all fine. But you know, we printed 300 billion this year for the coronavirus. 
debt to GDP is going over 100%. There's no prospect of this government making the tax changes that will be necessary to get the budget back into some kind of reasonable balance. Why not? Because again, the voters don't want to pay, or rather the politicians don't want to make the voters pay. And you know that you can't go on borrowing indefinitely. You know that you can't keep putting the costs of net zero on the government's balance sheet. So you know at some point there's going to be a crunch. And you know, that's what I really worry about. I worry about when cakeism runs out of the dinner table. There's no more left in the public kitty to pay for what the public were told would not cost them anything themselves. And so we come full circle. The Climate Change Committee needs to spell out the extent to which emissions and sequestration bring together into our carbon consumption. We need to look at our carbon intensive lifestyle. We need to remember that we're living well beyond our climate and environmental means. And yes, it means that net zero is going to cost. It's going to be a cost which in my view is well worth paying because if we don't pay it, we will end up with an unsustainable and therefore an unsustained uh, economic position for the globe. So time to get real, time for a bit of that Churchillian blood, sweat and tears, time to tell the truth because the truth will out and this mirage of free nirvana, cakeism, will turn out to be really rather unpleasant as it unwinds when voters told it was all for low cost or for free find out it most certainly isn't thank you